Psalm chapter 10. So, for me, the book of Psalms is a book like none other. And it is one of the places that I go when I, you talk about what is your devotional life like? It's easy to open up to the Psalms. It's, it's one of those that become far more familiar. And there's also certain Psalms that you say, oh, I know that Psalm really well. Some of the favorite ones are probably the first Psalm. It's the kind of the opening in the, the Psalter for, for Israel. Psalm 23 is another very familiar one. Psalm 150. So it's throughout, there's kind of some of those really favorite Psalms that we have. Uh, the Psalms are a place where you also turn to when you are in some of the most emotionally challenging moments of your life. I can think of countless times where God has kind of given me a psalm in the midst of a trial, and I go, oh, here's the place that I kind of cling to. And they, so it's, the psalms are kind of sacred ground for me. So why are the psalms kind of helpful? And I think there's a lot of different answers, and sometimes they're simple answers. But I'm going to suggest one reason for this series. I believe that the psalms are very, very honest. They're honest. And by that I mean that psalms have the ability to kind of put voice and verse for what our souls really feel very, very deeply. They, uh, they say things that and address some of the difficult and even the conflicting emotions that we have going on in our heart. And you feel kind of good because David said it. So I can even say this. The, the Psalms address raw and sometimes even scary questions about life. Questions about God, questions about our pain, while at the same time they lead us back to a biblical kind of thinking. Life is hard, the Psalms are good, and God is good. That's why we love them. The Psalms are not afraid of our questions. They're, they're, they're not afraid of our raw emotions. They're not afraid of our painful experiences. The Psalms actually live where you live. They, but the beautiful things about the Psalms is that they don't leave us there. They deal honestly with the pain. And, but yet, what do they do? They lead us back to the ultimate question of who is God? Who is this God? And so they serve as a bridge between the pain of our lives and the power of our God. So for the next couple of months, we're going to be looking at some of these important and very honest questions that we find in various psalms. Here's some of the questions that we're going to be addressing. Today, why do you hide yourself, God? Why have you forsaken me? What is the measure of my days? Why are you downcast, O oh my soul? Why should I fear in times of trouble? Or how long, O oh Lord? How long? Or where is your steadfast love? Or how shall we sing the Lord's song? So I, I promise you that one of these questions or all of these questions, you are going to either have asked at one point in your life, or you will ask at some point in your life. And some of us know what it feels like to ask these questions over and over and over and over again. Where are you, God? 
And you may be even asking some of these questions today. So the heart behind this series is to help prepare you, to equip you for these difficult moments in your life when you actually experience suffering or pain or questions. And if you don't experience, aren't experiencing it now, my friends, I'm going to guarantee you, money-back guarantee, that you will experience pain, suffering in your life. It's only a matter of time where you will experience the real effects of our broken world through injustices, through personal conflict, maybe an unexpected illness or a loss of a job or the death of a loved one or the betrayal of somebody who is oh so close. And in those moments, you need a place to actually go with your pain. The reality is it is difficult to live in a world of corruption, in a world of abuse, and mindless cruelty. And sometimes we kind of get to this place of just spiritual nausea. And when one witnesses senseless injustice and the the prosperity of even those who are responsible for that injustice, after a while, our spiritual nausea kind of turns towards indignation and even righteous anger. So this morning, we are going to be looking at Psalm 10, where the psalmist is going to be dealing with this question of injustices. So would you stand for the reading of God's holy word of Psalm chapter 10? Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul. The one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All that his thoughts are is there is no God. His ways prosper, his ways prosper all at all times. Your judgment are on high, out of his sight. As for all of his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten, and he will never see it. Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce the God and say in his heart, you shall not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To you the helpless commits himself, 
You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call the wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. So that man who is of this of the earth may strike terror no more. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So our text this morning deals with this unresolved evil or injustice. We don't exactly know what the psalmist was addressing at this particular moment in time. Some psalms were written because of a national crisis. Others were written because of personal crisis. And it appears that this psalm was written with the latter in mind. It's helpful to understand that psalms speak this way. All of us are familiar with some of these things that are going on in the psalm at one level or another. Maybe you have been wronged by someone in your your life, somebody near and dear. Or maybe you have seen somebody being treated extremely unfairly. Or as you watch CNN or Fox News, I don't care which channel or what end of the spectrum, you look and you go, are you serious? This is happening in our world? And these people seem to get away with crimes, the oppression, injustices, time after time after time. It's painful to watch those things. But what makes the situation even more challenging is when the person continues in their campaign of evil or injustice and they seem to just get away with it. It's like, are you serious? That just drives the stake even deeper. The pain is hard to deal with, but the frustration connected with the injustice is painful at a whole entire different level. You've probably thought, what would you do if you actually had the power to expose that person, stop them, and punish them? But often we are left powerless. So what do we do? How do we respond to this? So the psalmist, what does he do? The psalmist turns his attention with some hard and very honest questions about the problem of injustices. He doesn't simply talk about the problem of evil and the success as if, as if it's some theoretical kind of college textbook kind of thing out there. This is a very deeply personal problem. And the psalmist asks God some challenging, raw questions. And you see, the problem is not just injustice. Because if we stop with the problem of just injustice, we miss what God is up to. The issue is injustice and, and God's seemingly lack of intervention. It appears that God isn't doing anything. Notice the significance of verse 1. These questions are just pregnant with pain. Why, oh God, do you stand Hey, That's a gutsy question, isn't it? 
It feels almost irreverent. Why are you so far away? It's like a finger-wagging moment. The psalm is deeply troubled that God seems to be too far removed from what is happening on earth. The word Lord here is the personal, sacred, and powerful name Yahweh. It's the name that means I am. It was, it was the name that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. And God told Moses, listen, I am who I am. And say that to, to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. This was the powerful name that delivered his people from the clutches of evil, the most powerful nation of, on earth at that time, by making a mockery of their false gods. It was the same God who dwelt in their midst, who led them in the wilderness, who inhabited the tabernacle and the temple. This was the God that defended his people, who delivered them. Yahweh is a deliverer. He is their rescuer. He is the God who brought them out of the land of Egypt. This is who the psalmist is addressing. Lord, why do you seem to be standing far off? But in this moment, God is, seems to be standing far away. Feel this image. God's people are in trouble, and it's obvious. Yet it feels as if God is distant. He is removed. He is, he is uninvolved in the day-to-day pain of their life. It seems as if God is unmoved, uninterested, and frankly, he doesn't care. And the psalmist feels as if God is no longer there. In their moment of pain. And maybe you have been there. Where are you? Why do you seem so far away? But the second question is even more loaded. Why do you hide yourselves, yourself in times of trouble? This complaint seems to move things from passive to actually active disinterest. God is choosing to be disconnected, or to, choosing to be connected, disconnected. It's not just that God is standing far away. Now the problem is that the psalmist feels as if God is actually trying to hide himself. The word hide can be translated as, as secret or hidden or concealed, but it can also have more emotional meanings as like withdraw to ignore, or to even be hypocritical, pretending to be one thing while actually being something else. And if that is true, it should make you feel uncomfortable that the psalmist is calling God out and calling you a hypocrite. He's basically telling God that he feels as if you, God, are not being God-like. Can you imagine thumping God on the chest and saying, you're not being very godlike here. But that's what's going on. The psalmist is deeply struggling, not just with his pain, but he is in this moment. He is actually struggling with God. I'm struggling with you. And, and my my this injustice is, is one pain, but your lack of intervention is really a deeper pain that I am feeling in my life right now. Where are you? Why are you choosing not to be involved in my life? So let's pause here for a minute. I need to give you just a couple 
pastoral observations. First, there are some of you who I know have experienced great injustices and that has affected your relationship with God. You have experienced great deal, great amount of pain and disconnection and that has affected the way that you now view God. And I just want you to know that there are many people, many people in history and in the Bible who have wrestled with God over these things. So do not allow the enemy to convince you that because you are struggling and because you are wrestling and because you are hurting over God's will that somehow you have abandoned the faith. It's not true. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to ask deep questions. And just because you are asking these questions, God, where are you in my time of trouble? It does not mean you have abandoned your faith. It means that you are human. There needs to be room in the Christian faith for honest lament, sorrow, and questions. But secondly, we... we, You have to notice here that the psalmist doesn't stay here. The psalm, did you notice, is more than verse 1. Right? It's important to note that he started there. This is especially important if you're you're even counseling somebody who is in pain or if you are trying to walk through the pain with with a friend who is deeply hurt sometimes we are afraid of honest questions of people and ministering to them in their pain it's like oh don't don't say that about god don't you you might be sinning against god don't all right let's move on and we we want to rush through the pain there's something scary about seeing a friend in great pain there there's something even scarier about the questions that come during that time of pain i know this having walked with people through marital uh, issues people who have gone through questions of loss of life and the questions they ask makes me kind of go oh that's really uncomfortable and i kind of i feel like i want to rush through it and i want to kind of like be job's three friends who were trying to protect god from hard questions Sometimes people are in verse 1 of Psalm 10 and they just need time to get to the end of Psalm 10. Be a good friend. Don't panic by minimizing the pain or even the depths of the questions. Can someone sin with their questions? Sure they can. However, we have psalms like this in the Bible for a reason. And we need a place in our understanding of God and suffering and for the allowance of tough, honest, and emotional questions. But we can't stay at verse 1 all morning. Notice that verses 2 through 11, there is just this frustrating reality of injustice. Yeah. It begins by listing all the things that the psalmist is experiencing, what he is feeling. So although God knows all these things about what is going on, the psalmist just pours out his heart to God. Is that not what prayer really is? It is the the pouring out of my heart, the raw data of what is going on, what I'm experiencing. He does not need to ask God. He doesn't need to inform God 
of what is going on. God already knows. It is helpful to his soul to actually identify the issues that are affecting him. And it's also good for us to hear because I am sure that there are things in here that all of us can relate to. There are a number of things that the psalmist identifies. So I've grouped them into kind of five categories. The first one, the first uh, verses two through four, is that this person just has some outrageous pride. There, he's, he's frustrated with this unidentified person and he acts as if there is no principle of right or wrong as if God can even totally be disregarded. And verse 2 indicates that the wicked person, this person who has tremendous amount of pride, is oppressing the poor or the weak, and that there are even schemes and plans that are still going on. It's cyclical, maybe. And it's still going on and on and on and on. When we're not told what the specifics are, but the point is here that there is actually oppression, that there is unfairness, and that there is injustice happening right here. However, oppression is only part of the problem. What is really frustrating is the fact that the wicked person is oppressing people with an outrageous level of arrogance knows what he says in verse two through four in arrogance wicked hotly pursues the poor the wicked boasts of his desires of his soul the greedy one for gain curses and even renounces the lord verse four there's the pride of his face so even the way that he's looking and all of his thoughts are There is no God. The psalmist wants God to do something, not not only to stop the injustice and the oppression, but also to show the, the wicked man that he is not God. The wicked man is living as if he is above the above consequences, and that grieves the psalmist's heart. But also, here's here's another category. There is frustrating that he's looking at going, there. There's crazy success going on with this person. It, it just, it's one thing to be prideful. It's a whole other thing to see that matched up with he's being successful on top of it. He doesn't live with any concern for what God may think about his actions. His ways prospers all the time. All the time. It's like, are you serious? Can't he screw up once? Your judgments are on high, out of his sights. As for all of his foes, he puffs at them. So his action, his success is creating an evil self-confidence without any direct consequences. It's like there's no rails on this guy to keep him in. He's just winning time after time after time. And on top of that, Listen to how he speaks. You get that in verse 7. One of the most common weapons of injustice and oppression are actually our words. The way that we speak to other people. And the wicked man uses his mouth to wage war on others. Notice in verse 7, it describes his mouth being filled with cursing, deceit, and oppression. The NIV renders this as threats and trouble. His words are sneaky. 
They're destructive. His, his mouth is constantly churning out wicked statements, commands, and hurtful words. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. They create so much pain and there seems to be no end. Man, you, you just look at our, our political spectrum even today. I don't care if you are Democratic or if you are Republican. The churning out of abusive speech is a sign of evil. And it's also a sign that there is ongoing oppression and injustice and an evil heart. Be thinking as you read. This is the background that the psalmist is saying talking about but there's also in verses 8 through 10 there's an intentional oppression he gives kind of the extent of all the activities of this wicked man this this oppression is super intentional this man is actively he's actively plotting he's actively scheming and he is actively just waiting for that right moment he sits in ambush that's active He's hiding in places. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor. Does that sound like something that is casual or intentional? There's an intentionality. And the effect, did you notice the effect in verse 10? The helpless are crushed. They sink down and fall by his might. The word crushed means to actually be broken. Some of you know exactly what this feels like. Some of you, someone was maybe ex- was cruel to you. Something happened to you. And it's like they stole a piece of your soul and you are just now broken. You were and you are crushed. And the evil in this situation is so egregious because it is something that is happening on purpose. But lastly, in verse 11, it points out that there is absolutely just no fear. Power and the absoluteness of that power. This man, this man has no fear of consequences. But on top of that, he has no fear of God. The psalmist says that this wicked man lives as if God isn't even in the picture at all. And there's the inflammatory statements that the psalmist puts in the mouth of this wicked man. He says in his heart, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face and he will never see it. Can you, can you hear the, the tone? He has no fear. He, this person has moved himself up in the power structure in such a way that says, I'm God. He has no fear of God. The wicked man lives as if God is incompetent, uncaring, or maybe just impotent. And the reason, of course, is because the wicked man is acting as if he is actually God. And this is, that's a rough list. Some have described this psalm as a, a way, if you're looking for a description of what the Antichrist looks like, 
And we have seen it throughout history, different pictures and images of what the Antichrist, one who is against God, looks like. This is a description of that man. What I find amazingly helpful here is the fact that the Bible, though, doesn't leave us just in the pain, the questions. It gives us voice to our pain and our frustration. It enters into our lives right where we live, and it serves as a comforter for us. And what's more, it's not only that the Bible does this, Jesus also has done this. Part of the beauty and the compassion of the actual incarnation, the coming of Jesus, is that He actually understands our position. He understands. And in His suffering, And in his suffering of injustice, he gave us actually a a way to follow, an example to follow. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, He did not revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus personally endured this frustrating reality of injustice. And when you think about that injustice injustice, that feels like it is actually winning the, the day. Remember that there was the injustice of the cross that created the possibility of forgiveness, of hope and love in mercy for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. The psalmist could only hope in what God could eventually do to make this injustice right. So thank God we didn't stay in in verses 1 this whole time. Thank God we didn't stay in verses 2 through 10 or through 11. Thank God we don't stay there. We move on through 12 through 18. Having that there's actually friends, there's actually hope in the midst of injustice. In verse 12, the psalmist takes an important turn where he calls upon the Lord. He prays to God and asks for His help. And take careful note that he asks very hard questions and deals honestly with the pain of the situation. But the psalmist does not stay there. He moves on. He he puts his hope in God despite the unanswered why questions. Notice what he does because it is what we should do, what I need to do when faced with injustices, with pain. The first thing that he did is he called upon the Lord. The psalmist says, arise, arise, O God. The word means stand up, prepare to act. He's not just asking God to intervene. He is putting his hope in God's ability to make things right. I've seen you do it before. We have a whole history of people doing this. Arise, God. Even in the midst of injustice and the the seeming silence of God, he has enough faith to say, help us. Help me. He's asking God for help. 
But notice the slight shift in verse 13. The psalmist is not just concerned about his pain or injustice. He is now concerned about even the glory of God. He's dismayed because of of what the injustice says about God. You also see that he we not just to call upon God, but to believe in faith. Part of the beauty of what happens here is that the psalmist is preaching to his own heart. Verse 14 is full of faith. Even though he cannot see that God is seeing, he believes that God does actually see what is going on. He banks his faith, not just on what he hopes will happen, but he looks back on what God has done in the past. But you do see. For you note mischief, God. You you notice vexation that you may take it into your own hands. To you, the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of of the fatherless. The psalmist knows God's record. Do you know God's record? Do you know of His faithfulness? Not just to you today, but can you tell of God's great is thy faithfulness? Oh God, my Father. Are are you able to look back and see the faithfulness of how God has saved all throughout the account of the Old Testament? Can you tell the stories of our fathers and our father's fathers and Father Abraham? Can you tell and recount the stories of God's faithfulness to David the faithfulness that He has shown generation after generation? Can you recount how God has been faithful to the New Testament church? How He has been faithful in and through the Reformation? Can you tell the stories and point back of how God has been faithful? Or are you just stuck in your today and just say, man, I am miserable. There's no way He can get me out of this. He believes that although there are seasons of silence, God is not silent forever. And for those of us who live in the New Testament, we even know for ourselves that there was what felt like three eternal days of silence as Christ was in the grave. But you know what happened? Sunday came. And the resurrection, the stone was moved away. And that king who was dead is now reigning. We also see him trusting in God's judgment. I love this. It, feel, it feels a little rough to ask this, but the psalmist says, God, break his arms. Break his arms. In other words, he wants God, he wants God to actually break the power, the hold, that wickedness and injustice actually has. But what is happening? He is relying on who to do it. God. The psalmist wants full and complete justice and he knows that God is the one who can actually accomplish it. He kept on trusting the one who judges justly. But finally, this psalm ends by him resting in the who. It started off, our psalm asked, asked, why? Why are you doing, why are you so far 
Why are you inactive? Why? But now we see it's ending with the ultimate hope in the midst of suffering and injustice, and we see who. As I, I've said, the, the why question is not, is not as satisfying as the who question. Notice the way in which the psalmist ends his complaint with a focus on, on who God is. The Lord is king forever and ever. It's a declaration, right? The nations perish from his land. Oh Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of this earth may strike terror no more. He is saying, listen, we've come full circle here. I've got all kinds of questions of why, why is this going on? We begin with the most hard question about injustice. Why do you stand off? But we end with the psalm with a confident bowing before God saying, the Lord is King forever and ever. Through it all, we've seen glimpses of the Gospel. And we've been reminded that God can take any injustice, any injustice, and use it for His glory and for His good that's why we love the gospel and i pray that you will never tire of hearing the gospel over and over and over again this is why we love even the psalms because my friends life is hard and the bible especially the book of psalms is honest and helpful And it reminds us that ultimately, even in the midst of our questions, God is good. Let's pray. 